Hey ladies and gentlemen, I am Luminous. And I'm Rico. And welcome to another episode of the Top Deck Time. This is episode 23. And this is a podcast about the top decks of Eternal, as well as very interesting topics, such as Base 12 math and whatever <laughs> things that we, we decided to talk Anime about. Anime you have to absolutely um, get into. Yes, we did talk about that once. Did you actually ever have the, the chance to watch the uh, hit anime film, Your Name? Uh, I had many, many chances, but I took none of them. Damn. <laughs> That's disrespect, dude. That's disrespect. <laughs> All right. So my lovely co-host who doesn't watch your name is uh, Rico. How have you been this week? I have been absolutely great. I took a spontaneous trip to Madrid with my girlfriend and it was absolutely lovely. The weather was great. It, has tw it had 20 degrees more than here in Austria. It's getting cold here. And yeah, we had an absolutely lovely time. And it's a very, very beautiful city. If you ever get the chance, I would highly recommend you going there. The food was great as well. Them European travel, like you could just like, eh, I feel like going to Madrid. So I am going to go. Yeah, it was literally yeah. like we, we recorded the episode about Amri on Sunday. And Carla wrote me, hey, like uh, my friend who I wanted to go with, she's ill. Do you want to go with me instead? And we the flight is tomorrow morning. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do that. <laughs> i yeah, think great. the united states equivalent of that is like las vegas because i think las vegas <laughs> they make the, the the flights there extremely cheap but okay. then that's about it yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then you go there to lose more money but you know <laughs> anyways my week has been pretty much the same i played a lot of origin port mid-range decks which is the uh, topic of the uh, podcast today and uh, i hated myself every moment of it not a big fan of Argent Port, but I feel like we got enough repetitions of Argent Port in to, to do the deck a little bit of justice. Because it is a very, very powerful deck uh, under the right circumstances. But before we get into that, let's talk about some eternal news. Another ETS uh, has gone by and another week that Stone Scar Burn deck has won it. So all is right with the world, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, big shout out to Unearthly. Um... Like, we've seen an earthly experiment uh, with decks other than Rekana lately. He took an Archimport list to the ETS lately, and, um, or was it the midweekly tournament? I am not sure, but he played Archimport, I know that. And now he's uh, trying his luck with Queen, and the deck looks pretty solid, I think. Like, um, the, do you remember, like, way back in the closed beta when all the Queen decks were running Impending Doom? Mm -hmm. Like, I always thought that Doom was such a great card in the Queen deck just because. Like, hitting for 5 is, is so much damage, and mostly if you, uh, you're you pressuring the opponent early, they have to spend removal on your on your little guys, and so Impending Doom sometimes stays uncontested and can like hit for, like, 5 or even 10 damage. That's so right. much damage out of a burn deck. So I really like the, like, going back there, um, going a little bit higher with the curve. I mean, as much as I like having Impending Doom and so far Drakes, I can see the reasons of not running them as well, because a lot of the common removal lets you net tempo advantage against units like Impending Doom and so far Drake. So think of Torch versus so far Drake. Think of uh, Cowboy versus so far Drake. And I think one of the easiest way to catch up against some of these decks that are beating you down early is to get a turn where you can vanquish the Impending Doom and then try to stabilize. So I, I do see sometimes decks losing out you know in turn four you put impending doom and then on you know you pass back to them they go vanquish torch and suddenly they're right back into a game where they have no business back being back into um this is not to say that i dislike impending doom or so far drake uh, i just see the reasons to not run it as well but for sure like the trade that that's the trade if you make but on the other hand like uh unearthly has like uh two cable counters four champion four doom and three Soulfire drake to really overload the opponent's removal like the like how many vanquishes are you going to draw versus that deck and even if you draw a lot of vanquishes you're still getting beat down by only running pyronite archimpot instigator outlaws etc so this deck like it plays a bunch of very very demanding units to interact with so yeah it, it kind of can overload the opponent's removal i guess the one thing i really like about this particular list is that it's a very cheap list it's an aggressive list that you could just take into the ladder and do just fine. There's only three copies of Legendary, which is the Bandit Queen. 
Um, the rest? No, no. Actually, it's running three oh, so far Drake as well, and it plays a Which... bunch of rares. Yeah, most most of the cards are rares. I mean, the so far Drakes you can make an argument that it's not a hundred percent necessary. This is still one of the cheaper decks out there, right? It it has a total shift stone cost of uh, thirty nine thousand two hundred fifty. Um, shout out to eternal They tell you this kind of yes. stuff. <laughs> I guess Skycrack Aggro is cheaper. Skycrack Aggro sure. runs like just a couple of Adios, and and that's pretty much yeah. it. What we're trying to say is, if you want to play aggressive, if you want to rank up quickly on the ladder, Queen, uh, Skycrack Aggro, and even Recano Aggro are, are the way to go. Yeah, also Queen and is like great for grinding Gauntlet if you if you want to have some money to draft. Yeah. Or if you m- manage to get your 10 wins or whatever the cap is on silver chests. We also have uh, Origin Port midrange in the top 8, <laughs> as usual. This is actually, I think, every single week since set two has been released, there is an Archer Point range deck on the top eight, right? Mm. I want to say that's true. It feels that way. Okay, <laughs> uh, I'm not entirely sure, but like we've seen a fair representation of the deck in tournament lists. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's actually get into the main topic of today, which is going to be the Origin Port mid range. Now, trying to describe Origin Port mid range kind of like just a one big term is I think do injustice to the whole archetype because unlike some of the more defined archetype like Shimmer Pack or Armory or even Felm Control, there's a lot of wiggle room uh, in terms of what Argent Port Midrange is. Largely a part of that is because we haven't really found the right list yet. Do you think that's the case? Like we, we don't know what the best 75 is for Argent Port Midrange. So a lot of people are trying out various different things. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, and there's there's very much going on with like just Archon Port deck lists. Like, they range from hyper aggressive like District Infantry and Oathbook and even Minotaur Oathkeeper to like the mid ranger versions to even controller versions that even spot some um, um play some harsh rules maybe. And then there's the Hero of the People, uh, Piercing Grief decks. Like, there's there's so many ways to build Archon Port, but I guess like. Adding the adding the mid range to that excludes some of those options, <laughs> right? So because the lists are so kind of vastly different, we are gonna talk about one list in particular, and then we're gonna expand from that and talk about what you get by going faster, what you get by going bigger. So the list that we're gonna start with, you could check it out at the uh, top deck time at WordPress. Top deck time slash WordPress. I really should learn our own URL. <laughs> If you Google Top Deck Time WordPress, you know, our, our website should come up. Um, or if you found this on Reddit, you could click the link and then follow the, the deck list. So this is a list that I've kind of uh, borrowed from various top eight finishes of ETS and then made my own kind of changes to it. So I'm going to quickly read out the list. Um, one Protect, four Seek Power, one Suffocate, three Annihilate, four Oath Book, four Tinker Overseer, two Tranquil Scholar, three Vanquish, four Bart, uh, four Slay, four Valk Enforcers, four Impending Doom, four Lethrai Falchions, four Store of the Pass, uh, four Umbran Reapers, and the rest is all sigils with two Emerald Monuments. You got dudes, you got kill spells, and on paper, this is actually a very simple deck. Hit their face every turn, backed up by your Vanquish and Slays, and then you try to make things hard to interact with them, uh, use, mostly using Bart or using like Aegis Flyers or just Flyers in general. All right, so I, I got a couple of questions because, like, um, as I was in Madrid, I didn't get the chance to play much. So I want to interview you a, bit, a little bit and get your thoughts about the deck. In general, what would you say, like, is the, the draw to such a de- to a deck like Argentport? Like, what, what are its strengths? And then maybe come back to your list a little later. Yeah, so the I think the biggest reason that you want to be playing Argentport midrange is that it has a really good matchup against Praxis midrange. So you are running a ton of units that deal extremely well with Dawnwalker. Not just Praxis midrange, also a Legion midrange, but basically any time-based decks that are trying to do cheesy stuff with things like Dawnwalker, Sandstorm, Titan. Because you're running Valken Forcers, you're running Story of the Past, so that's eight main deck ways that are super efficient to deal with Dawnwalkers. Um, if your opponent is just playing a random 4-1 for three, that is, like, if you can make their deck play such a terrible card, then you're off to a, a you know good start. 
Also, a ton of your removal spells are getting a huge tempo advantage. So they're mm -hmm. spending 6 power to play Heart of the Vault, and you're spending 2 or 3 power with Vanquish and Slay. And against decks that are trying to develop one big threat at a time, so think of like, you know, turn 4, Sandstorm Titan. Turn 5, they're playing uh, the big Reinarch. Turn 6, they're playing Heart of the Vault. It's so easy for you to like Vanquish, Annihilate, and then you are kind of pummeling in for 5 to 7 damage each and every single turn. So you're leveraging your tempo advantage against some of the bigger and slower decks, and you're preventing from their kind of best game plan from coming out. So that's, I think, the biggest reason to be playing uh, Arjunport midrange. Second reason, I think, is Bartolo is an amazing card if you're trying to kill people, and you get to run four of them, and you get to slam weapons on it. Um, even without weapons, like, just... Combining it with things like Oathbook, or not not for my list, some lists are running things like Rapid Shot or even Finest Hour. You get mm -hmm. to just kill people out of nowhere. So it gives you some game plan um, against decks that are perhaps a little bit faster than you. You could race them very easily with Bartolo and Lethrai Faustion. So I, I, I say these two are the biggest reasons to be playing Arjun Port Mirage. Sounds fair enough. Uh, what are the biggest reasons not to play the deck? It's boring. It's <laughs> super, super right. boring. I mean, that's more of a personal uh, bias. I mean, th there are interesting decisions to be making with this deck. When you're playing an aggressive deck where you're trying to press A or you're trying to leave back a blocker, trying to race, there there's a lot of small, intricate decisions. It doesn't really speak to me personally as a player because I think I'm a more control uh, mm -hmm. kind of a player that want to cast like A drops and, and 10 drops. Uh, another reason is that the deck really has trouble dealing against decks that are faster than you. Like, so think of Rakano, Skycrag as well as uh, Stone Scar. You, okay. your, your wins come from being able to randomly cheese them with Lathrae Falchion, but if you don't draw your Falchion, then you're just slow, you know? Vanquish and Slay do well against Six Drops. They don't do well against Grenadins and Oni Ronins and things like that. Yeah, once you're trading down on tempo with your removal, I can see it going yeah. downhill. Also, I... Um, I, I am not sure. Like, I, as I said, I haven't played a lot of Argentor, but it seems like that if you're playing against a deck that is going for the late game, you don't seem like you have the tools to keep up, right? Like your late game consists of maybe some Magdos or maybe some Umbrian Reapers, but you don't really have reach or anything really powerful you can draw into once the game drags on for a bit. Yeah, that's the other big disadvantage of playing Arjun Port. You don't have reach, nor do you have ways to refill, right? You don't mm -hmm. have, you don't have, let's say, Legion could go like Friendly Wisp or Wisdom the Elder to kind of draw their way back. Elysian also have Crystallize, if you're going to call that as a reach spell. Definitely. I guess that's, yeah, a reach spell, yeah. So you definitely don't have that kind of advantage. Uh, so when you do get set back by a harsh rule, or when they are able to one-for-one one you like super hard, then you do have a lot of issues closing out games. And that that's a point that we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, kind of talking about your five-drop selection between Umban Reaper and Makdo, mm -hmm. you know. Or do you want to talk about that right now? We can go into your list right now if you want to. Sure, sure. So looking at your list, what I find interesting is that you're playing four Paladin Oathbook without any one-drops. And usually I like to like pair the Oathbooks with one-drops just so I can go uh, go ham starting from turn two. Uh, are they good enough without the one-drops in your deck? Yeah, so I think the Dream Curve is playing District Infantry into Paladin and Oathbook and you're hitting them for four. Mm -hmm. each and every turn, and then you're kind of hitting them harder and harder as the game progresses, right? There are actually eight one-drops in this deck already, and that is the four Seek Powers and the four Arjunport Banner. Um, one of the tougher <laughs> thing about this list, I, I'm, I'm not even kidding, like, I, I think mm -hmm. they're, they're, those are legitimate one-drops in this deck. You're playing a lot of double-influence cards, Valkyrie Enforcers, Impending mm -hmm. Doom, Letharite Falchion, Store of the Past, and then some triple-influence cards, Bartholo as well as Umbran Reaper, if you're not casting these cards on curve, that is a big, big no-no. You're playing essentially an aggro deck that are trying to punch them. You don't have reach. You don't have uh, ways to refill. So missing your curve is a big, big disadvantage to this deck. So mm -hmm. I think spending a turn one to power fix is extremely important. So even though we don't have like a one-drop unit that's beating down, by using seek powers or banners or seats on turn one, it makes the, the rest of your game plan that much stronger. Yes, Paladin Oathbook is at its best when you have a one-drop to back it up, but it's so common where I go, like, turn two, let's say, Tinker Overseer, and then turn three, play an Oathbook to buff the Overseer by one because of Overseer's text, and then attack in for four. So that's, like, 
that's still pretty decent. Um, for me personally, the Oath Book has worked out quite nicely, even though I'm only running essentially six two drops now. Mm-hmm. Um, Oath Book is also a fine t- top deck in the late game, especially when you have Lethrai Leth- Falchion. It just like helps you race that much easier. Yeah, and I mean, it, I guess it's great with Batholo. I'm just wondering if there's maybe uh, an alternative that has more impact, uh, more immediate impact with this list. Is it, I think it isn't aggressive enough without the more one and two drops, and I'm not sure like if you can take the time of getting Paladin Oathbook to roll because like you're starting Oathbook in the earliest at turn three, right? Mm-hmm. And how long do you want your game to go? So how much value do you get out of your Oath Book? I think Oath Book is surprise. I mean, we, we definitely all played against Oath Book in drafts where they have one drop I mean, into Oath Book and you lose, I mean, right? Yeah. The, the fact that Oath Book gives you some very decent breakpoints when you're attacking into them is very nice. Mm-hmm. It's so common where I go Impending Doom and then they go Sandstorm Titan and then my Oath Book allows me to attack into a Sandstorm Titan without mm. fear. So... yeah. It's definitely not as best where you play on turn three or four, but it, it still does stuff. And of course, when you're cheesing people with Bartholo, that they just it's crazy. Yeah, it's great. That's yeah. I also haven't lost when I drawn two oath books. Like it just gets really, <laughs> really, really fast. <laughs> Assuming I have units to to go uh, back up into. I want to say that oath book is the way to play any type of aggressive. Uh, Arjun port. There's a there's All a right. lot of power behind behind Oathbook, especially when you're playing Bart, and you're always playing Bart, right? I, I don't think there's any reason yeah. not to play Bart when you're playing Arjun port. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. Uh, okay. Next question is uh, Tranquil Scholar. How are they? Why are they in here? How have they been? <laughs> so I I started uh, four copies of Tranquil Scholar. Like Tranquil mm-hmm. Scholar is a card that I I just think it's cool. It has one of the coolest animation when you when you summon it. I mean, and, preaching to the choir. I love the card. Yeah. The, the problem with Triangle Scholars is like, it's not really good. <laughs> when you're trying to aggro people out, you don't want a random keyword. You you want like actual good keywords. Like getting yeah. uh, quick draw is absolutely amazing. Sometimes getting killer and uh, giving your other units killer is great. Also mm-hmm. giving charge as well as double damage is insane. Uh, one game I was able to give double damage to my Umbrum Reaper. Ugh. And as you know, the Umber Reaver in Tomb Effect also double damages. And it's like, okay, I just... So there are some free wins that you just get with Tranquil Scholar. Um, so that's the nice part of it. But a lot of times it feels like I'm just playing a 2-2 two, two for 2, which is definitely not good enough for the constructive rate. I'm definitely looking to actually cut Tranquil Scholar if I'm looking to replace it with other 2-drops. I'm right now looking at Auric Bully. Um, the three two for two that gets plus one plus one extra if you are putting weapons on it. If I'm looking to build Argentport mid range into a more weapon heavy build, then I'm definitely considering that. Um, also considering uh, the two one Aegis Paladin that Warcries. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm not having that unit currently is because of Temple Scribes that are absolutely everywhere in all these time decks. Like, it, it comes down to what you're trying to metagame against, right? Like, this deck is trying to design, design to build Praxis and, as well as a Legion midrange, and I just don't want to play my 2-1 into their 1-1 and then feel silly. Yeah. So far, Tranquil Scholar has been okay, but I'm, I'm definitely on the lookout for replacements. Fair enough. And then there's a very big question regarding your deck. For Amran Reaper, Zero Makto. What up? <laughs> uh, I don't know what's a nice way to say this, but I don't think Makdo is a very good card when you're trying to aggro people out. The most relevant part of Makdo's text is the 5-5 five, five flyer for 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's... I mean, that's it. Like The whole fact that it has revenge <laughs> and the fact that you could bring it back, I don't think that actually matters much at all. Uh, one of, the, event, or one of the, the weakness of this list, as we mentioned earlier, is that the deck doesn't have reach. A number mm-hmm. Reaper... Is that reach as unreliable as it may be against a lot of the silence effects out there? Some some games you just finish when you slam down Umbra Reaper. Also, against decks that are trying to kill you before you kill them, like decks that are faster than you, think Rakano, Skycry, and Stone Scar, having that extra life gain is absolutely invaluable. A lot of times where you you are trying to beat people down with one unit because you're playing a Paladin Oathbook, and then you're just playing Umbra Reaper to block and using the Entomb effect to extend out the game so that you could win with Oathbook. So it plays good offense, plays good defense, 
Right, no, I, I love Obmarin Reaper, and I think it's a great card in the deck. Um, I have seen a lot of lists that run both, and even some that run four of each, of each Magdo and Obmarin Reaper. So my question is, is there only room for one of them? Is there a reason to not play more five drops, or do you think Magdo is just not good enough, or what was the reason that you play zero? So I think it's up to your game plan, right? Like, depending on how long you think the game will get drawn out, um, I think if you're trying to finish the game relatively early, like what this deck is trying to do, then I think Umbrian Reaper is just a superior unit to Makdo. Like the fact that you can revenge things back, you're, you're not going to be, the game's not going to be long enough for you to take advantage of the revenge. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're playing both uh, five drops, then I think that the the game plan is to take it more late and, and drag the game out longer. So you're probably going to be playing the full four Vanquish, the full four Slay, a couple more Suffocate slash Annihilate to draw the game to then take advantage of, of Makdo coming back. The current build of my deck is that I'm not trying to go late. I'm trying to just kill you uh, relatively quickly. I prefer the Reaper over the Makdo here. That totally makes sense, yeah. Then there's something from a deck builder's perspective that I'm curious about. Because this deck, like, you're playing oath books and weapons and units and yep. removal. And you're, like... It's a pretty good split between those. Like, you're running a bunch of removal, actually. Like, one Suffocate, three Annihilate, three Vanquish, and four Slay. That's a pretty good amount, I'd say. And then you're running the four uh, Oathbook and four and four Lethrae Falchion, as well as, like, some Protects and Seek Powers. Um, so my question is, like, you, you need to have, like, a unit and a weapon. And hopefully that yep. unit doesn't die. So... Is, has there any has there been many problems where you like don't draw enough units or your only unit gets removed because like this is a, a problem that I can see this deck running into. It's like the Rakano problem, right? Where you draw yeah a little bit, but you know, uh, but even amplified through the fact that you are playing more removal than Rakano, you're playing even more spells. You're not playing as many weapons, so it's not. Or maybe you are. You're running eight weapons basically with the with the oath book. So yeah, the Rakano problem is it there? Like, what what do you? What do you think about it in, in Archonport? So I, I think I think the units here are a little bit better than the Rakano units because some of your units double up as uh, removal spells, right? Your Valk Enforcer and your Sword of the Pass essentially are removal spell plus units. So I, I mm-hmm. think they're serving multiple purposes. As always, when you're playing decks or trying to combine plan A into plan B, like Rakano and this deck, your Mulligan has to be extremely, extremely robust. You can't mm-hmm. just see like... Okay, one Tinker Overseer and three removal spell. You can't just keep that hand without having a very good reason to do so because one Torch yeah. just ruined your whole game plan. So um, a lot of it comes down to your, your Mulligan. And I do think that I have a good mix of both. And personally, I haven't been running into issue where I am running into the problem where I have like too many weapons or too few units against really, really dedicated control decks that are just killing every unit in sight. That that is just a problem, which I I think other decks, other aggressive decks, will have that problem as well, right? Yeah, they have that problem as well. But I think like this Archmod list, it might be especially bad against control, just because other lists that are running this A plus B plan are like a Rakano. It's 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 just faster. True. So Rakano so can sometimes just kill control. Deck. control. Yeah, and and like yep. I think I don't think this deck can kill a control deck before like they just remove every one of your units turn by turn. I guess Bartholo helps. Yeah, the, the one nice thing is that, well, Bartholo, like you mentioned, has Aegis, so it makes mm. things a lot harder. Uh, they have to spend two removal spell. And I think Paladin Elfbook, if you treat it as a weapon, it's probably the best weapon there is, right? Because Against control, it's a, yeah, that's true. Right. It's a weapon that you could develop. You don't have to attach it to one of your units. Mm. And then it kind of transforms each of your unit into a threat on its own. Think, think of, like, you know, you, you play Obelisk, and then you're playing Temple Scribes. Like, each Temple Scribe you're playing, it's just getting a little bit more power. Oathbook, it's the same theory here. Obviously not as strong as Obelisk, but when you have the Oathbook down, and when you're playing a random 3-3 flyer, suddenly that flyer is a 4-4, as it were. So it's like each threat that you play is a little bit stronger than it normally would because of the Oathbook. Yeah. So. No, it's true. It's a good weapon to have against Control. There are some very, very decent matchups that we already talked about. Praxis and Legion. Basically any deck that just spends their turn to go one threat at a time. It's very common where you go Vanquish and you develop another unit behind that and you're pressing A. 
th those are the decks that this deck is designed to build, uh, to beat. So I think uh, from my testing and playing on my way to master, most of my wins are against those type of decks. And then the decks that are really bad against is two decks I, I face and I almost lost every single time is the uh, decks that go wide. So think of Burn Queen, like where they go assembly mm -hmm. lines and taking Granadens. I'm like, oh my God. Because um, a, a lot of power of this deck is where you're attacking every single turn to take advantage of Paladin Elf Book. But when you have to hold back your guys to block, that is just not good. Um, and of course, it's also very bad against Armory. You're trying to play Bartholo and they just like mm -hmm. Orc Runehammers you. So... <laughs> Then that the game is actually just over. They also run things like Harsh Rule. Thankfully, uh, you know, Armory is not an archetype that you see too often. But I honestly saw it quite a bit this week. I like to think that Tony G's gospel has been spreading <laughs> a little bit. Seems... Oh, we didn't talk about that during the ETS portion in the beginning. Like ETS, uh, like Tony G, like absolutely threw a curveball. He was like, no, nah, I think the traditional armory is dead. No, I, I think like just playing the red green version or maybe with some blue is the way to go. And then boom, next week he's there in the ETS top eight with a traditional armory list. Yeah, showing that it's still <laughs> alive and kicking. <laughs> uh, um, so I don't know if you, if you, no, I, I, Sorry, I, I sent you this post yesterday because I thought it was it was great on Reddit, uh, and it was by Trishai. Um, sorry if I butchered your name there. Um, he and some of um, his friends in his playgroup they they made a list and they they kept track of decks they faced. So they basically they made a, a statistic of what are the most commonly played decks on ladder, and it wasn't within the first week or two of the new season. So it's obviously very, very much skewed towards aggro. So the top three decks played were Stonescar aggro, Praxis midrange and Rakano aggro. So I was thinking like with the many, many ways that we can build Archonport, like if you, if you knew that like at least 80% of your games were against one of those three decks, would you change anything in your deck or, or what, what would be the changes? So if I know I'm playing against Praxis mid-range, I think this list is fine. Um, mm -hmm. the, the removal spells are, are quite good against them, so I wouldn't change too much of anything. Um, however, against Stonescar aggro and Recounter aggro, then I, I'm definitely looking to change a little bit. Let's actually talk about Stonescar. Mm -hmm. I think there is a variant of Stonescar that just goes wide, and I just mentioned that you, you just, there's not much you could do to beat it. One unit, if I'm looking to tech something into it, is teching Copperhall Bailiff. The yeah. three drop that gives a minus one sword to everyone. That mm -hmm. just absolutely wrecks assembly line or basically any one drop, two drop, three drop into queen game plan, right? Or it just right. makes you like block that much easier. And also just adding more lifesteal is always a good to go. So I think Bloodletter is a very interesting weapon of choice. Mm -hmm. You could also change up your two drops a little bit. Argent Port Instigator. Argent Port Instigator. You know, why Why am I not playing Argent Port Instigator <laughs> my aggressive list? That is a question that I, I need to answer myself. Yeah, I totally missed that. I, I, I'm wondering now myself why it isn't. Like, I, I think the Tranquil Scholars should just be instigated straight up. And then... Probably, yeah. Maybe sure. make room for two more. Like, the, the, the card is just too good to play in an aggressive deck, I think. Yeah. I totally missed it the first time around. So, And you're running so many kill spells anyway. So the Argentport Instigator yeah. allows you to get into more damage. So remember when I said I'm not sure what what the triangle scholar should be those two copies it's it's instigator yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah so i would i would hack in cop copper bailiff and mm -hmm. then more lifesteal uh, against against those decks yeah i think like the the blood letters in particular seem pretty good i think like if i was against like and this is without having played a, a game with the deck but um, my my instinct tells me to take out the oath books for the blood letters against the more aggressive uh, in the more aggressive meta game Okay. Just because I think like you, you needing to attack um, every turn for the oath book to get value isn't that great, and uh, even with the oath book, you're still probably within torch range range with many of your units. So I would just like to have that one heal burst, and then getting a unit out of torch range with the that that the blood letter provides way more than the oath book, and I don't want to flood out on weapons, quote unquote. And I, yep. I still want to keep all my falchions, obviously, because they seem great against aggressive decks. Yeah, bar plus falchion is, is yeah. like largely how you win with this deck as well. So that is a combo you want to keep. Definitely, and like bark with bark with bloodletter is brutal as well. You gain five, and then you have a five power unblockable dude hanging around. 
for sure. Yeah, you really need to get two lifesteal hit in to, to win. Like, I think one lifesteal hit is already enough to swing. So people think like, oh, Bloodletter is not as good as Falchion. You can make the argument that Bloodletter is perhaps even better than Falchion because of the fact that you could deploy it one turn earlier. It's just that for this deck, a lot of my power drops are at three. So mm. I want a, a weapon develop on four. But if yeah. you're trying to curve the deck a little bit lower, especially if you're thinking about playing District Infantry or playing things like Arjunport Instigator, then having Bloodletter on three might be the way to go, if, especially mm. if you're trying to tech your deck a little bit faster. Uh, versus aggressive decks. So then that's what I would suggest for Stone Scar. For Ricardo, mm -hmm. I think your removal speed is actually pretty decent as well, right? Because like they're trying to put plate on things. And you got Vanquish and Slays and an L8. So yeah, that seems good. It's pretty decent. A good defensive unit against a lot of these aggressive decks that I think is criminally underprayed is the 1-5 Endurance Warcry for 3. Okay. Uh, Oryx Sentry, Oryx Sentry. Is called. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not the best fit in this deck because it doesn't beat very fast, even with the Elf Book. Just like one a turn and then two and then three is just not that impressive. It's very good when you put a weapon on it, but I, I think against these aggressive decks, you your goal is trying to leverage the board and kill them as quickly as possible. Mm. And even also, though Oryx Sentry... Bailiff is the better three drop. Yeah, for sure. That's why I suggest a bailiff. I th mm. I think if you're trying to play a bigger game plan where you're trying to cast six or seven drops, then maybe there is an argument that Auric Bully, sorry, Auric Sentry is better because the one five is actually a pretty good ground blocker, and you could get in a ton of Warcry to basically have a more like a longer, uh, stronger long game plan. Mm. But if I'm trying to stick with the shell I have right now, I think the uh, the two three with the minus one swords are the way to go. Sounds good. Those are the three top decks of week one. But like you said, those are the, the lists that we saw in week one, right? I could yeah. definitely see that things are shaping up to be a little bit different now in week two and week three. Like, for example, if you're seeing a lot more armory and you're seeing a lot more, let's say, film control, I would try to actually go a little bit later myself. Uh, but if you're playing against armory, a, a card that I'm interested in trying out is the uh, Cat Burglar. Cat Burglar? Okay. There was a game where my, my opponent uh, rise for, obviously, Daisho. It was turn 5 rise. Yeah. And I just capped and I just laughed. Or there was some, <laughs> some, some turn where they reforged a weapon and just capped it right back out. It's like, ooh. It's it's not a great unit else, like, otherwise. But I think cap yeah. like, maybe not for, like, this deck. But let's say if you're playing Felm Control and you just want some answers against armory out of the sideboard, let's say, or just want to tech against armory. Catburglar is actually, like, a fine card, I think. It's a good defensive 3-drop. Obviously, also, does quite fine against relics. I just can't find myself playing that card on leather, though. Like, if you're not discarding a relic, the card seems... I mean, it's okay, it's not absolutely embarrassing, but it's close enough that I wouldn't want to play it in my 75. I mean, on paper, it's at least a one-for-one, one, right? And then sometimes it's a two-for-one with the body attached to it. If you kind of view it under that context, isn't that, like, pretty good? I wouldn't say so. Like, I mean, for example, like, um, Diafang Spider is a one-for-one. One. Would you play Diafang Spider in your constructed deck? Merciless Stranger is a one-for-one. One. I mean, yeah, but those <laughs> those two bodies are not nearly as good as uh, yeah. I, I know, what you mean, right? I, I know, but like the like a three two for three isn't isn't really uh, isn't is it's neither aggressive nor defensively good, right? I mean, I, I guess what you're saying is like okay, if this is like Seraph stats, right, where it's like a three four or three three deadly, and then it also has the random upside of discarding a relic then then you would definitely look to play it yeah i mean i think that's exactly the problem it's the it's a random upside like how many games out of 10 do you think this happens 0.2 <laughs> yeah 0.2 is probably actually the right number um, i think this is definitely more of a cyborg card than than you know you put it put four copies in your ladder deck right but I, I guess maktos would be better against armory right yeah it's just that, like, on paper, it's good against Armory because it's coming back. Similar to how Dawnwalker comes back and it's technically good against Armory. 
The difference right. is that Dawnwalker comes back every single turn. And they have all yeah, of them. Makdo comes back maybe. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah, true. Like, I'm, I'm saying that I think Makdo is probably your best bet if you're an Archenberg, just because, like, you don't have anything else, really, that is good against Armory, in my opinion. That also, yep. like, furthers your game plan in other matchups. Like, Maktos can still beat down in other matchups for five. And it gives you a little bit of a late-game option, which you normally oh, actually, don't have in Archenberg, right? Yeah? Yes. So I was really good with my Tranquil Scholars. High skill, I chose Charge, right? That's smart, and yeah. Turns out Charge is very good against Armory. You that's, know, you just... that's true. <laughs> they go turn forward, kill your guy, kill Bartolo. So I was like, okay, well, Tranquil Scholar... Let me charge your, your weapon, kills it. <laughs> and then I gave like my Umber Reaper charge on the turn after. So like, okay, yeah, I'll uh, I'll Oric Runehammer your tutu again. I'm like, nope, here comes another charge. <laughs> so Tranquil Scholar did did work in that one game. And I'm I'm always a fan of good Tranquil Scholar stories, because it's like it got that a little bit of uh, spice when it comes to like, you know, we're, we're crown we're crown players, you know. I like my oh, random yeah, keywords. Yeah. <laughs> One more small tip slash trick with uh, Arjun Port is that I started the deck list with four various favor before mm-hmm. I switched to four seek power. Okay, I like various favor because it's the best favor. Anytime, almost when you're playing Shadow, you always include four various favor. Yeah, and the, and the decks I'm trying to beat are decks that are playing Temple Scribes, Dawnwalkers, and to a certain extent, Friendly Wisp. Like, there's a lot of targets. And only Ronin, right? And yeah, and only rolling even so. There's a ton of amazing targets that uh, that the various favor could could hit. But then in actual practice, is that I just don't have time to take off or use two power to get this effect out. Um, on turn two, three, four, I just want to develop units after units or weapons. I don't have time to squeeze in two power in between, especially on turn two, three, and four. So that going back to your question that you asked earlier about, like you know, you don't have any one drops in the deck. If Varus Favor was a one-drop that I could play, I mean, <laughs> it would be too good. But you get my point, right? This is this is yeah. like very similar to like Inspire, going from one power to two, where Inspire was previously playable and now it isn't. Like you just don't have the time to take off to play Inspire, or in this case, Varus Favor. So I switched up my my power base a bit to actually go for the Seek Power instead. I mean that makes sense. Various favor not not being able to get the justice. It just it I, I don't know. It, it hurts me not not playing the card. I think it's just amazing. And the more you play against aggressive decks, the more amazing it becomes. I think. And it's just it's very hard for me to find a reason not to play it. But I I, I guess your argument makes sense. For people that are interested to try this deck out, I, I applaud you to go try out both versions, right? The four <laughs> power version to and, and the four various favor and see how how it feels for you. Serp, who went uh, top eight yesterday with the Archon Port list, he he's running two and two. Okay, so maybe that's a way to go. <laughs> Varus favor is still good. Like you won't hear anybody arguing. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So. there's no denying that. Yeah, it's interesting that he chose to run four protect. What do you think about that? I think in tournament meta games, where when people are coming with a sideboard, or when they're trying to hate out aggressive decks. They're just trying to slam a ton of kill spells, right? Protects are just amazing for that. In the latter, I'm not sure if you want to be running four protects because you're already drawing a lot of dead cards in this deck, right? Like drawing yeah. Vanquish against, let's say, I don't know, a red deck. You, you just feel bad. And... Mm. But see, that's a fun thing, right? Because it's uh, on, on in tournament, you have a sideboard and he chose to run the four protect main deck. Like, protect, for me, it seems like a good sideboard card, but... Um, like, what decks do you think, uh, or uh, maybe he did expect some, some, or a lot of decks that Protect might be good against? I, I don't know. What, what do you think the Protector needed against? I think it's because he's also running Blood Letters, three of them. Right. So even though the list that we're looking at right now, which you could check out at so. EternalWarcry.com, yeah, we're looking at the Arjunport mid-range deck that finished top eight yesterday. Even though he, it looks like he's playing pretty much a similar curve to what I'm doing. I think the deck operates a little bit slower because he's trying to leave up like extra power for finest hour and protect each turn. Mm. Like to me, this is a, is a deck that even though it plays the same cost card, it, it, it could afford to take a slower game plan because it has blood letters, 
to kind of shore up the mid game. So right. I think because of that, it also could play things a little bit slower, like Varus Favor instead of the four Seek powers. So to answer your question, I think because it's playing a little bit slower, it could afford Protect because you're seeing more cards in general. Um, whereas the one where I'm trying to aggressively kill people, then if you draw Protect when you need, let's say, an extra unit or an extra weapon, and you're looking at Protect, it does neither, and it just feels really bad. Mm. I, I think the, the one one point, one main point I've learned from playing Arjunport nonstop this week is that there is just so many different ways to tech your deck. So just comparing this list to the one that we're just talking at right now that are running four copies of Finest Hour and four copies of Protect, and then the Blood Letters, I feel like that the game the game plan of the deck plays out very vastly different. And then you said you played a couple of versions with District Infantries, right? Yeah. I imagine that that game plan Usually is also... a couple of games, but yeah, it plays very differently. Like, yeah. And you have to mulligan way more aggressively because like the... The A plus B problem, the Rakano problem is way more apparent. Right. In in a deck like this, because when you don't have a unit until turn three or four, like the game is basically over because you're drawing one once and the opponent it's more than likely not doing so. So yeah. Yeah, and I guess the advantages of that deck is that you just get a lot more free wins when you curve oh, yeah. you know Definitely infantry like into into Oathbook yeah. is just a free win against many decks, for sure. Right. It's just a very high variance deck, I guess. You have a lot of free losses. I was going to bring up. Yeah. With, let's say your <laughs> yeah. power not being the right amount, or they turn one kill your district infantry. You're like, oh. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that I, I, I guess my build is very bad. <laughs> I just threw it together and like um, played. I, I don't know, not even ten games with it. So I, I don't think my yeah. my version is good, and I think there are better versions out there. But for me, it has been very inconsistent. So I would say that there are some advantages of going a bigger mid-range as well. This is something that I, I want to explore when, when the time is right. Where I'm, mm. I'm thinking of taking things like Grimva or even taking things... Uh, Grimva? I mean, Grimva plus Umbrim Reaper? Can you say Reach? That That is the one disadvantage well, of this deck, reach, right? Yeah. You lack Reach. Yeah. And Grimva allows you to play much more aggressively into Harsh Rule as well, which is a card that beats you a lot of times. So I, I think Greenville is very interesting. I think Sleepless Night is also interesting as well if you're looking to play a longer game. I think yesterday there was a list in the ETS. didn't make it into the top 8, but it was playing things like Stone Powder, Alchemist, Grimva. It was playing Harsh Rule on its own as well. Like, it's just, it's not even mid-range, or maybe it is, but it's just like really, really big in late game. I'm also interested in playing things like Sleepless Night. The whole deck looks or will be very different uh, from that point on. Yeah, it looks way, uh, it sounds way slower. Yeah, you're you're definitely not playing Oathbook and Overseer and Tranquil Scholar in that list. You're you're probably like packing the same removal spell, but just like shifting your curve much higher, and try to kind of beat a different type of decks. Aggro not being one of them. Like <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're beating Aggro with that list. But you get my gist. The the, the thing about Origin Port is that. I think it's a it's an archetype that could actually swing and develop to either directions very easily. You could go very fast and aggressive. You could mm. go slower and bigger. So I think there's a lot of power in this. It's just that Rico and I aren't the biggest fan of this faction combination. So <laughs> I don't think we, we have the best uh, experience with, with these two. Unfortunately. Take what we say with a grain of salt, because we're definitely not Argentport experts. But I think this week I've definitely grind more than... 50 to 60 games of Port with various different builds, so <laughs> I'm sick of seeing Justice and Shadow right now. I'm looking to play something different. So, actually, let's talk about next week. Uh, is there a particular archetype that you want to explore? I, I have one in mind, but I decided Port for this week, so if you got one, then I'll, I'll let you I, I I honestly don't. like. I, I hardly played any turn last week, so I, I'm not... I didn't have any exciting new ideas or anything. So okay. if you want to suggest something, please do. Okay, I give you a choice, okay? Okay. Alright, so choice number one, film control. Okay. I don't think we actually talked about film control as an archetype on this podcast before. I believe we talked about like film control splashing time multiple times before. Yeah, fair enough. We haven't talked about traditional film, that's true. Well, film 
actually took me to master uh, this week or a couple of days ago. I think it's a very strong list. You get to run storms for aggressive decks. You get to gift people for mid-range slash control decks. You always have game pretty much against anybody. I think that's one of the best ladder decks currently at the moment, mm -hmm. um, especially with Armory like being its lowest point has ever been. So you don't get free losses against Armory. So I think Felm is definitely a very strong archetype. And the other choice I'm thinking is Xenon Control. It's also a deck that we never talked about here before. Again, we pair Xenon with other factions before, but never straight up Xenon. And I think there's a lot of very interesting finishers uh, going from Witching Hour to, let's say, Obelisk to The Last Word to Varus. And it's hard to actually say which one are, is the way to go or even Mask of Torment. I am not... Uh, I, like, I haven't played... Um, mostly um, during the last week. So I'm not master yet. So my pick would be Felm Control so I can actually win some games. Sounds good. I, I like Felm Control as well. All right. Yeah, looking right, forward so... to it. I really like the archetype as well. Yeah, Felm Control will be the, the topic of next week. Hopefully, for, for our sake, we won't run into too many armory. Now, we, we totally did the order of all of this wrong, right? We're supposed to talk about Origin Port and then get everyone playing Origin Ports, and then, and then we we talk about Felm Control, so we prey on all those plebs that are playing Origin Port. <laughs> and then the week after that, we when we got... Every... Yeah, yeah, exactly! We, we, we just, like, order totally backwards. Uh, our, our plan to start a podcast just so that we can easily climb to Master every season. It has been revealed. As if we have even that kind of influence over the ladder. But I like the idea. <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, um, I'm looking forward to film. Oh, actually, so something interesting I want to talk about is that I was watching uh, Crip, Criparian, which is, I think, one of the most popular Hearthstone streamers, Stream Eternal. Um, he was, I think, sponsored to do the first stream by DWD. Okay. And then it seemed like he was enjoying the game enough to actually uh, like stream it other times without having the sponsor. So I was watching him do a lot of the, the puzzles. Okay. And then what he did made my mind explode, right? So on the first page of the puzzle, there's four puzzle groups. Yeah. And then there's a tiny arrow where you hit, and then there's like a bunch more puzzles. I didn't know that there was a bunch more puzzles. I thought there was just like four. No, no, no. So, there, so when he more. hit the right... When he hit the right aerial, like my my brain just blew. I was like, "Whoa!" There's oh, you a didn't lot see more. them yet. I didn't see that yet. I was like, "Oh yeah, the puzzles are cool, but why is everyone like you know?" It's like the puzzle is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm like, oh, "Yeah, they're good, but you know." And then I saw there were so many more. I was like, "Oh my god, it is the greatest thing since sliced bread." <laughs> I had a lot of fun this week when I'm not feeling sick of Argent Port. I was playing a lot of puzzle, and and you know, like the the puzzles, they assume like the craziest of game states, right? Where you have right. 18 power, you have all of these influences. And one of the things is that they, there was a combo that I want to make a constructed deck of. Like, there's a puzzle combo. It's terrible, but it, it seemed fun as hell. It involves playing... Uh, what's that Elysian legendary one-drop one, uh, one rare spell that shuffles the, uh, the titans in your deck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Call of the Ancients. Call of the Ancients, yeah. So you play Call of the Ancients... And then you either play the yeah, Swordpot yeah. Wrangler or, or you play Shaker. the or Stone Shaker to discounter, right? And then you find yeah, yeah, yeah. it with Crown Watch Press Gang. Crown Watch and then I was like, yeah. oh my god, you play a 5-drop to find a 1-mana 6-6. Six, six. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. It's like, oh my god, I could use these combos. And then I was like, wow, these, these, this is way too many hoops to jump through. I could just play Sandstorm Titan. But, you know, like, this is fun. This is crazy. So, I definitely... Thoroughly enjoy the uh, the puzzles. I mean, I love how you how you get to enjoy them like weeks after everyone else has completed them. It's that's just really that's just really great for you. Like it's it's like being able to like like we in in our friend group we like we discussed uh, we discussed stupid superpowers, and there were like things like you're able to um, you're able to create fire, but only when you're underwater. Or okay. 
like or or something something stupid like that and and somebody then suggested like i i just want the superpower of um getting to forget all the books i've read and read them again and you kind of okay. did that there like you kind of got to do the puzzles all over again like weeks after everybody else did them so that's that's pretty cool i didn't even forget I just pulled like a standard luminous, like I did something super dumb. Like I just didn't even <laughs> press the right arrow, and then it, it's more like you know you, you find twenty bucks in your jean pockets like four months later. I was like, okay, <laughs> unexpected like surprise, but it's good. Oh. By the way, that superpower of making fire underwater isn't that super OP if you're like in a submarine. No, no, you can only if you if your whole body is covered in water, okay. so it's super useless, in fact. But yeah, is it? You could like, I mean, yeah. Can you like boil something? Yeah, in theory, you, you can, can make a lot of you can make a lot of bubbles. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> there you go. Like you can work as a jacuzzi if all this fails. Oh shit! That there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to be creative. You got to be creative. <laughs> oh. So what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a jacuzzi. Okay, when we get to this point of the podcast, we all know that the podcast is uh, <laughs> is carrying on a little bit too long. So our intro and concluding music is Monody by the Fat Rat. We are done here for now. I hope you guys enjoyed <laughs> this episode of Arjun Port. Next week, we're going to be talking about traditional film control, where we are trying to essentially board our opponent into conceding. <laughs> That's it for now. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Top Deck Time. And for Rico, I am Luminous. We are signing off. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.